Weidman Kovacic sends it down. Control is earned by Buffalo. Curry to the front. Backside. Rister. Stop. Scramble. Score! Chris Curry ties it! And welcome to the Sportscasters episode number 38. It is August 23rd here in earthquake strucken <laughs> Buffalo, New York. Well, actually, I guess the earthquake was in Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Just somehow it was still felt here. I don't understand that totally. Yeah. Because uh, it's always only in the fives. So 5.8 or something like that. We had one in Ottawa last year that I felt. I felt here too, but this one was definitely uh, longer and stronger, at least from where I was sitting. Unbelievable. Anyway, this is the second podcast of the week, and I want to say right off the top that we are dedicating this podcast to the great career of the one of the great American hockey players of all time, Chris Jury, who retired a couple of days ago, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that in pick three, but I just wanted to say off the top that this show is dedicated to Chris Jury and the great career that he had. Today on the show, we are going to have, I did it already, and it was awesome, an interview with Michael Fabiano from NFL.com and the NFL Network, talking fantasy football with him, and in a second, we're going to start the show with Five on Fantasy instead of three things, because after that, it's going to lead right into the Michael Fabiano interview. So I thought we'd change the format up a little bit. Instead of starting with three things, we're going to start with five on fantasy, then do the Michael Fabiano interview, then we're going to do pick three, and then we're going to do our second interview of the show, which is with Ken Fangs from fangbites.com. He's a big Twitter guy. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should be. It's at fangbites. And we're going to talk sports media with him, and it'll be interesting to discuss some of the things that are going on as we get ready to start the NFL and the college football season, which we actually talk quite a bit about in episode number 37, which is also released this week. So what I'm telling you here is not only should you be listening to this episode, number 38, with Michael Fabiano and Ken Fangs, but you should also find the time to make sure you download episode number 37, which had Don Banks, Andrew Lawrence, and Stuart Mandel, and lots of college and uh, NFL football football talk. So it was a really football-centric show. This show we're going to talk fantasy football, we're going to do pick three, which is probably three no things. football, or three things, excuse me, should we know, which will be no football, and we'll talk a little sports media, and then we'll end it all off like we normally do with pick four. The only other thing I want to mention is that we also did Athlete Spotlight, spotlight number four with Anthony Day from Yale, uh, an incoming freshman getting ready to start his college hockey career. You may remember we've done Athlete Spotlights in the past with Deuce McAllister, Reggie Smith and Carter Camper, who kind of was leaving the NCAA when we did his. This one with Anthony is him kind of getting ready to enter the NCAA. So it should be interesting. But we got a lot to do, so let's get it all started with Five on Fantasy. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick... Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leon Let, Ocho Cinco, TJ Hushmanzada. 
I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. Nice job, Don. Thanks. I like it. Don comes through with some production. It only took me like eight weeks. I love it. Five weeks. I like the little album scratch there after the Just Breathe thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I made one without it, too, so when that joke gets old. <laughs> but that was great. I like that. So good job. So we got some production. It's five on fantasy, like Don said. I'm going to get us started today since Don works so hard on that intro. I'm going to give him <laughs> a rest until uh, I finish with number one here. And basically all it is is that I had my first draft. First draft of the season, it was, it was Sunday. We had a great time. I want to plug an app. I downloaded a lot of people will spend, I don't know, 30 to $50 on these giant draft boards. Right. We've done it in the yeah, past. Yeah, we've done it in the past. And they're cool because you get to see who's being picked, what teams have what players. You know, it's easy to know if you didn't pick a quarterback – it's easy to know if everyone has one and you have a little bit more time to wait. But I actually found an app this year called Draft Night. And it goes with a website called draftnight.net. And we used it this weekend. And for $4.99, it was unbelievable. What it does is it, when you have the app, it, you can pick who was selected. You press that on the app. And it comes up on whatever projector or TV you have a computer hooked up to and it worked out great and we love that so i want to suggest that app it's an ipad app it's called draft night if you have an ipad and you're thinking about having a draft look into it it was really cool another thing i want to say i had the first pick and i was prepared to select arian foster i had watched the night before i'd watched him play he played fantastic against the saints you're the second pick i had the second pick right so i was prepared to end up selecting foster with the number two pick, which before I had watched that game, I wasn't so sure because there was this kind of, you know, worry about his hamstring. hamstring yeah. Well, the guy in front of me ended up picking Foster, so I ended up picking Adrian Peterson. I feel great about that. But an interesting thing was is then when it came back to me, Richard Mendenhall was still there. I thought that was great value. So I ended up going running back, running back with uh, Peterson and Mendenhall. You actually got Mendenhall in the third round, according to this. You got Hakeem Nix in the second round. Really? Well, that was unbelievable value. So Mendenhall would have been like about 22. I can't believe he lasted that long. Yeah, maybe because it's PPR. He's a little bit lower on the list. I don't think he catches quite as many, but still 22 is It's not a bad two running backs in Peterson and Mendenhall. And then when you get to pair him with Knicks and Stevie Johnson, who are my top two wide receivers. You also have Colston. And I have Colston. So I have three pretty solid receivers. I like my backs. And even though I waited a long time on quarterback, I ended up with Eli Manning and Josh Freeman, and I'm pretty comfortable playing matchups with them from week to week. So overall, I was happy with the way the draft went. It was my first one. I'd done a few mocks and uh, kind of tried to get a feel of it. And I have to say, more than any other year, I can't believe my luck in terms of draft position. I'm drafting, I drafted number two in this league. I draft number two in another league that I'm in this weekend and I draft number one in one of the other leagues that me and you are in and where do I draft number three in my main league 
So I've had great draft positions all year. The league we're in together, you just said I were, I we're drafting one. I believe I'm in one league where I draft three. In every other league I'm in, I'm drafting seven. So in three other leagues, I end up drafting seven, which is great because anyone listening to the podcast knows I like to draft anywhere in the top six. So I always have hope someone has to go off the – maybe not off the board, but someone has to take a quarterback earlier than I would like to. So one of those top right, six guys As long guys as someone takes Vic ahead of you. Vic or even Rodgers. You're going to get one of the top six backs. Right. Otherwise, I don't know. I, I would I really had no plan what to do if nobody t- took a quarterback in that draft you were talking about. I probably would have ended up with... Uh, so you ended up with seven in the draft I was talking about, and you picked two. I ended up with uh, Shady McCoy. Okay. Because Vic, Vic was taken before that. Yeah, in a PPR, he's nice. He, was, yeah. he might be the lowest of those top six guys. Maybe. But still, he's a guy that I'd be, I'm really happy to have on my team. If I didn't pick him, I probably would have ended up with... Andre Johnson, I suppose. I'm just not a guy to pick a quarterback early. I and took Roethlisberger in the six, and that's early for me. Eight running backs. Yeah, I started <laughs> – well, I picked McCoy, who I'm happy with, and then I went with three straight wide receivers because I don't like the – I think uh, after Mendenhall, I'd have to look at like a chart, but there's like a drop-off area there with guys like Ahmad Bradshaw, who I don't totally love. and So I kind of waited it out, and in the fifth round I got Moreno, who I still don't totally love, but he was a guy that was there. And then in every round from the ninth to the 14th, which was our last round, I drafted for upside. I have guys like Adai, Tolbert, Jennings, DeLone Carter, Adai's backup, Stephen Ridley, who I honestly have never heard of until the preseason, but he looks great. And the so Patriots it's just can, all about trying to hit all up about upside. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah, someone's going to blow up this year that's a running back, and I just want to have one of them on my team. My first thing this week, uh, Chris Johnson's getting a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. We're referencing this one draft a lot, but in this draft, he fell to five. I believe without the contract uh, squabble or whatever you want to call it, he's a consensus probably. I would have picked three. him two, I bet. Two? Yeah, I bet. I would. Well, no. You like Peterson. Because of the way this went and right. because I'm a big Peterson fan, I still would have picked Peterson, but he wouldn't have lasted past three right. if Chris, he was signed. I love Jamal Charles, and I said before I would take him two, but... Chris Johnson, admittedly, has a less shaky uh, – he's going to get more touches than Charles because he doesn't really have a second guy there. He's got Javon Ringer, but he really didn't play much at all until Johnson was hurt last year. The longer this goes on, the iffier he is going to be. I wouldn't be surprised in one of these drafts that I have seven if he's there. And then I'm faced with the decision. Do I want my first-round draft pick to potentially not play a game? I assume it's not going to come to that, but even if he misses one or two games, it's a nerve-wracking situation to have your first-round pick be that unreliable. And it's not even—it's not even a matter of oh, maybe he's going to get injured. It's a matter of he, he might not touch the field. And you know, I remember thinking in a, in the draft that we've been referencing, the guy that did pick him, I don't think he protected himself quite enough. Uh, he didn't end up picking Ringer, which I thought was a huge mistake. I don't know who he picked instead. He has, but his top three running backs are Chris Johnson, Mark Ingram, and Matt Forte. And yeah, you're a Saints guy, but even you said that you don't really trust Ingram or Thomas. Well, be, I, I like Ingram and I like Thomas, but I think that they're going to share. Just, it. Right, right. I think that they might be the closest fifty-fifty split in the league, other than maybe D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. It's a great real life situation in New yeah, Orleans. It's not a great, a great fantasy situation. one. And if I, 
if if Chris Johnson's not there week one, he starts Mark Ingram and Matt Forte. Right, and behind them are Danny Woodhead and Ryan Terrain. Terrain is in a situation with uh, Roy Halu, who's a rookie, who has looked really good in the preseason, and, and Tim Hightower. Hightower, who they traded for or signed. I don't remember. Um, and Woodhead is in. And Woodhead is behind Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, the guy I drafted. Stephen Ridley is having a great preseason, and really, what's the upside with Danny Woodhead? Uh, I mean, it's got. Mm. It's probably it's a PPR. limited. Okay, right. I mean, that's true. So there's some upside there. He also drafted Steve Smith from Carolina. There's a lot of Percy Harvin. He might have dra- drafted the riskiest team. Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall, just because of the quarterback situation. Uh, yeah, so it's in Michael Crabtree. It's a very boomer bust team there. And you know, another thing about Chris Johnson. Before I move on to my to the number three thing here in five in fantasy, is that. Jay Clemens, who we had on last week, I believe, was in a draft, a PPR draft, where he went to eight. So <laughs> people are scared. Yeah. People are worried. I drafted a guy. I didn't mention him in the guys that I mentioned earlier, but I'm very excited I drafted him, and that's Ryan Matthews from San Diego. I watched him play the other night, and he scored an unbelievable touchdown run. And I noticed that there had been some people. Now, this was the guy last year that everyone had to have. He was like right? a second-round, third-round pick. This was the rookie last year that absolutely everyone had to have right? because he was just going to be the greatest. Stepping in for Tomlinson. Right. He was going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, yes, they have another guy there. Mike Tolbert. Mike Tolbert. Although, going into this game that just happened the other day, Ryan Matthews was named the starter. Right. Okay, so whatever that means in running back circles, I'm sure that maybe Tolbert will get a drive or two. But this year, it seems like the opposite has been true. Nobody wants Ryan Matthews. Right? right? If you look at a boomer bu- if you look at a sleepers and bust list, you're much more likely to find Ryan Matthews on the bust list than the sleepers list. Well, if he's gonna run the ball the way he ran it, and it was preseason, right? But again, he was running with the number ones against the number ones. He looked great. He's got really nice balance in and around the end zone. I don't know if you sco- seen the touchdown that he he ran. I didn't know. It was against the Cowboys. It ended up having to be re- reviewed. But he showed great balance around the goal line, and I just have to say, I like the guy, and I'm glad I picked him, and I might try to pick him again. If I have the opportunity in future drafts, yeah, he's an interesting guy. You have him. You got him in the sixth round, which is probably, uh, as Matthew Barry of ESPN likes to say, letting the hate go a little bit too far. But everyone, and that's what I figured when I picked him. When I saw him there, and I saw where we were in the draft, I said, you know what? I'm. This is this is this is enough. Right in that league, you already had two backs, so at best he's your. At worst, he's your flex. Right. So there's not a lot of risk there. Yeah, he's a guy that, admittedly, I have. Uh, on a guy that I probably won't end up with type list, but in the sixth round, there's, there's a lot of value there. Interesting thing happened, I believe, today. Uh, Larry Johnson, who has kind of just disappeared, was signed by the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins now have Reggie Bush, who is Reggie Bush. Daniel Thomas. Uh, and Daniel Thomas, who is kind of a little bit of people's sleepers because – Ronnie Brown's gone. Ricky Williams is gone. So Daniel Thomas is going to be the between-the-tackles type running back, you would assume, get most of the touches. He's a guy that you happen to get in that draft also. 
now they sign Larry Johnson. Does that well? Is he relevant? I guess is he relevant enough to even take carries? Is is he going to make the team? You know, he's he's not fantasy relevant at this point. There's no way you can draft him. We did 14 rounds, right? So 140 players. He's not going to be one of them. No, but here's what scares me about it as a Daniel Thomas owner. Why did they do it? Okay, why did they decide to do this? And I wonder if the reason that they decided to do this was because they're not confident that Daniel Thomas can carry the load between the tackles while Reggie Bush does what Reggie Bush does. Right. So that's what I'm nervous about when I see it as a Daniel Thomas owner. Again, not someone that I picked to be a starter, but someone that I picked because I thought there could be some upside and some value there. Now I'm starting to question that. Why? What is the reason you pick up Larry Johnson? There, it's in a now, not in the beginning of camp to bring you know to, right. But now, what? Why do you do this move now? That's what I'm wondering, and I'm a little worried. It's because my guy, who just isn't looking as admittedly, I'm not counting on this. Right, right. But my guy, who I had hoped would provide me with some really good depth, maybe isn't quite cutting the mustard. It's interesting. It's things like that, like maybe indirect plays, like. Like you said, Larry Johnson himself is probably not fantasy relevant at all. But this draft, New England drafted two running backs, and that's a large reason why I wasn't overly – I I don't know. I was down on Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis. He was respectable last year, but he's another guy. Where he's being drafted, I'm just not that interested in him. And it's because it doesn't seem like the Patriots are. Because if they were, they wouldn't have drafted two guys this year. And like I said, they really look great in the preseason. So – there's little external factors you can that aren't directly related to your players that can sometimes help you in a draft. All right, last thing, number five here on five on fantasy. And we usually treat this, this last uh, little piece here as a way to kind of go back and forth on an issue related to fantasy football. Sometimes we'll take two players and debate which one we like better. And another time... We'll take a, a, a part of the game of fantasy football and debate how we'd like to see it played. And today we're going to talk about being in a keeper league or not being in a keeper league. Personally, I've always liked the draft. So I would never want to be in a league that was so like a franchise league where you keep everybody and then only draft rookies. I wouldn't, right. like, I wouldn't like that at all because I like the draft too much. Yeah. You know, but I do sometimes like keepers to a very small extent. Now, I'm bummed out sometimes when I'm in, when I'm in a keeper league and a, a, a few guys that I really like you know are you already kept and right. I know that I can't have. But then again, it, you know, it's nice sometimes to have a head start and to have a guy on your team from the year before that you loved. Like, I remember I went a stretch where somehow – I had Priest Holmes for a couple of years in a row, and I loved that. Right. You know, because you could really get into the guy and get into his career and follow his career. And, you know, I got a little bummed out uh, maybe when the first year happened that I wasn't able to get him. But how do you, where do you stand on the whole keeper league versus not keeper league? And if you were going to have a keeper league, how would you play it? Well, we talked a little bit last week about auction leagues and how auction leagues kind of filter out the casual player because you just you can't do it. It's too advanced. Keeper League, to some extent, does that as well. Um, 
the casual player, especially if they have a bad year, it's going to be hard to attract that player back to the league knowing that other teams maybe did better in the draft and have these players that are going to allow them to do well again. And the casual player has to basically start from scratch. I don't mind the idea of keeper leagues. I don't like leagues like you said that you have an entire team and you're only drafting rookies. I, and If I'm going to have a keeper league, I think you should be forced to give up something to keep something. And there are leagues that I've seen that will allow you to give up the same round the players drafted. And I don't even think that's enough because it doesn't progress. Like it, you'd ha- you basically have to set like a, an artificial limit on how many times you can keep a guy. Because Arian Foster last year may have been a fourth, fifth round pick. And if you, don't, if you just have to give up the same spot every year, that team's going to have him the next five, six years. I like a league where if you're going to keep a guy, you've got to give up uh, two rounds earlier than the round he was picked in. So if you want Foster and you picked him in the fifth last year, you've got to give up your third-round pick this year, which, sure, every Foster owner is going to do that. Every Foster owner might do it again the following year, giving up their first-round pick if it's like the tenth pick or something. But as much as that gives the Foster owner an advantage, it's still... Uh, cycles itself out within a couple of years so i like that combination of being able to reward someone for picking well the year before and for casual users where they're not just blown out of the water by teams that are great after they have a bad year i'm in two leagues where there's keeper okay the one league i'm in is the league that we're in together where we basically tried an experiment last year right we singled out the fifth round and said that anyone picked in this round will be eligible for you to keep the following year with the loss of your sixth round pick. Right. So it's a little bit backwards of what I was saying. Now, the way that it's turned out, so far four people have committed to keeping their guy. Right. One is me. I'm, pick- I'm keeping Javid Best. One is you. You're keeping Wes Welker. Right. One is... Our buddy Joe, who's keeping Aaron, Aaron Foster. Foster. And he has the first pick in the draft. So it made me think, uh-oh, was doing that a mistake? Was that a stupid idea? And I talked to someone else in the league about it, and they said no. It just so happens that this guy you got a little lucky. Got a little lucky. Yep. And the first pick in that round was C.J. Spiller. Okay, they're, they, they're probably not going to keep C.J. Spiller. No, I mean, the sixth round is probably about where you'd get him, and maybe someone will fall there that you want more. I mean, you can so, probably get him a little, you probably get him later than that. You know, in this league and the way that that situation is set up, probably half the league is going to keep someone and half the league won't. Okay, the other league I'm in is the stupidest league I'm in. <laughs> and the reason it's stupid is because they have this thing every year called the rookie draft. Okay, and before the real draft, Everyone has to draft rookies. Okay, two rookies. Right. There's two rounds of it, and it's a snake, separate order. Okay. You, once you draft a guy in the rookie draft, you're eligible to keep them for three years. At no cost. The first two years doesn't cost you anything. Okay. But the third year, it costs you ADP. AD, okay. Average draft position. Right. Okay, so this year... The guy who has the first pick is in his last year of being able to keep Chris Johnson. So, and you had to say before they picked the, the order. But basically, he's drafting Chris Johnson first because his ADP is first round. Oh. Now, so he I, actually lost out a little so bit. So he lost out. Now, on the other hand, he didn't lose out last year 
when Chris Johnson was free was, a, was free right. on his team. This year, I'm keeping LaShawn McCoy and Mike Williams from Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay at zero cost, and I have the second pick, which is really the first pick. So before maybe Peterson or Foster by pick by pick number two or three in this draft, I'm going to have on my team Mike Williams, Shady McCoy, and Adrian Peterson. Right, and that's not fair. <laughs> no, and the one thing I like about the way your league did it that we were talking about that just that fifth round keeper round, whatever you want to call it, some people call it like a golden round or whatever, is it's an early round too. It's the fifth round, which uh, at that position, my thought going in was I took Wes Welker. I took a guy with not a ton of upside, but it was a PPR league. I took a guy I would take there anyway. So you could just take a guy to take a guy Whereas the guy that took C.J. Spiller was playing 100% for upside. And so Basically, was I when I picked Javid Best. Right. And, I mean, he got injured, too. So you kind of lost your fifth-round pick. He gave, you were, like, he gave me, like, two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, someone that goes after Spiller or uh, who was the big receiver last year? Crabtree, maybe, was drafted in that round? Mm, in the, yeah, he was drafted in that round. So someone like Crabtree, you're, just, you're drafting for upside. But, basically... I went into it thinking I'm just going to draft the guy I would draft there anyway. If he has a good year, I'll keep him the next year. If he, if he has just an average year, then it's a guy I wanted there anyway, and I'm not, I'm not mortgaging my team this year for the next year team. So there's two ways you can look at it. Like obviously it didn't pay off like the Foster guy did, or even arguably the way your best pick did. But there is, there's room to go both ways there. It's not like a weird like you said the rookie draft or anything like that. The one thing I will say and uh, my brother Greg pointed this out to me, is we're in a non-keeper league that bases draft position on how you finished the year before. So I wonder how you felt about that. Do you – because he says that's totally pointless. Um, He finished first in the league, so he is picking, I think – well, we did Kentucky Derby style where you pick your draft spot. I think he's picking like eight or something like that. I hate that. Now, my only thought was it's a more casual league. It gives everyone a little bit better chance to win. Like, he won last year. That was kind of his turn. you got to pick at the end now if you're going to win again. So I don't hate it, hate it. Um, I don't love it either. I mean, if you're going to carry things over from last year, why would it? Why just do the draft? But all leagues are different. I mean, that's part of what's great about fantasy, I guess. And you know what? We're going to take. We're gonna stop here, and we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Michael Fabiano. And one of the things – we talk about him with is all the different ways to play, play fantasy football, and we'll get his insight on some of the ways that he enjoys playing the game and some of the ways he don't. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Michael Fabiano, and after that interview, we should be back to do three things. Our next guest is from Watertown, Connecticut, and is a graduate of Central Connecticut State. He is a member of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association Hall of Fame and is an award-winning fantasy sports writer. He has worked for the NFL Today on CBS and is the first fantasy analyst to appear on one of the four major networks. Today, he is the fantasy editor for NFL.com and the NFL Network. 
Please do not confuse him with the famous American operatic tenor of the same name, but give a warm sportscaster's welcome to the equally talented Michael Fabiano. How are you doing today, Michael? Uh, I'm good, number one. I love the skid row in the beginning. Uh, it reminds me of the old days. And number two, that is very, very funny that you had mentioned that Michael Fabiano, who is the opera singer, because when I tried to sign up for Twitter originally, he had already taken that name. <laughs> and if you ask me to sing, you will not like what you hear, that's for sure. So, Well, what a voice on that Sebastian Bach, though, huh? Oh, he's the best, yeah. Well, I mean, what a voice. It's, if you talk about the best 80s rock or even just rock and roll in general voices, I mean, Sebastian Bach, Steve Perry from Journey, I mean, those are right up at the top of the list. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, the guy's done Broadway. Uh, yeah, and he's, uh, he, he did what? It was uh, Jekyll and Hyde, I think it was. Yeah, and Jesus uh, his Christ Superstar. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. One of the best uh, hard rock voices, uh, at least of my generation, that's for sure. I actually have a Sebastian Bach story. So I was in college... And Sebastian Bach played a uh, concert, a solo concert, at a little club near uh, in Syracuse, right near mm -hmm. college school there. And um, I emailed, I was writing for the Syracuse paper, and asked if I could have 15 minutes with him. So he, he said yes, and I was in his dressing room, and I was interviewing him. And uh, there was a lot of rumors at the time that he might join Van Halen. It was right before the guy from Extreme did. So yeah. we're just we're kind of made the wrong choice there. <laughs> yeah, they did. So we're just kind of talking about things like that. And I, I, his wife had walked in the room at some point, didn't say anything. She had just walked in, and I kind of look up, and there was a bathroom off to the side. And I look up, and his wife was essentially naked, sta nice. standing his there. Wife, from what I remember, was she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous, right? So yeah. I go to him. I say, you know, Sebastian, your wife is very beautiful, but she might want to close the door. And he looks back. He's like, Nah, it's no big deal. He's like. I'm like, he's, he, he's teasing me, you know, he's like, you can, you can get a look. And I'm like, well, she's a very, very beautiful girl. And he goes, well, duh, that's why she's my wife. So that's my Sebastian Bach story. But, yeah, well, that, that's, that's a better story than I have about Sebastian Bach. <laughs> I saw him, I never saw Skid Row. The only time uh, I had actually tickets to go see Skid Row was when they were opening for Van Halen, ironically. And then for some reason, Skid Row didn't perform that night. But I did see him uh, a couple of times solo, so. yeah. Great guy. So uh, everyone out there probably doesn't share the love that we do for Sebastian Bach, but they should. Right. You know, they yeah. should. So anyway, fantasy football is uh, – this is the time of the year that I can't help but love it more than just about anything in my life because there's nothing better than getting together with 10 or 12 or 14-year buddies and having a fantasy football draft. I mean, it's just – it's the greatest thing, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the – the way that it's blown up, especially, I mean, I've been in the business for 11 years now, and how it's blown up in that time is just unbelievable. Uh, now, NFL.com, NFL Network, you know, we're doing our own daily show. We're doing a Sunday show. Back when I was at CBS in the, uh, at the start, of, right around 2000, uh, you know, we did a few radio spots here and there, but there wasn't a lot of TV uh, to be had when it was when, when we were talking about fantasy sports now it's all over the place guys like matt berry who's great you know it really helped promote fantasy sports and um it has exploded and i mean i just had my draft with my family my friends a few nights ago and it's always fun they always um they they, they don't trust me because <laughs> of what i do so anytime that i draft they 
find some sort of, okay, well, why did you take him there? Something's got to be up with that guy. Or if I make a trade offer, well, you don't want this guy clearly, so why am I going to take him from you? Yeah, it's, but it, it, you're right. It's fun. It, I have fantasy leagues with a lot of different friends and guys in the industry, and it is, uh, it is one of the most enjoyable times uh, on the sports calendar, that is for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting you say you have a league with your family and friends because a few years ago we created a league that we call the Brothers League, and what it is basically is the only way you can get in the league is if you have a brother that's in it. So it's a t- okay. yeah, it's a ten team league, and you know there's it's basically five sets of brothers, and mm-hmm. uh, you know how brothers are. It's like we go for blood, you know. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yep. Yeah. So yep. it's uh, it's a great time, but um, I think the place that I want to start with you because we kind of debated this last week, and I actually wrote a blog about it and I'm curious as to what you'll say but there's so many places to play this great game in terms of what website you'll use there's ESPN there's NFL.com there's CBS Sports there's pay sites like I used to love Stats World when Stats World died part of me died Uh, (laughs) I think I think they became myfantasyleague.com and there's all kinds of sites but what I want to know from you is why should we play this game on NFL Network and NFL Network, you know, on NFLnetwork.com. What is it about your game, I guess I'm saying your standard game, or the way mm-hmm. that your website is customizable that makes it what should make it our first choice? Well, first off, we are the official fantasy game of the National Football League, which is always cool. Uh, and the game is completely customizable, it's completely free. I know there are still some platforms out there that charge quite a bit of money to play, and I, I don't understand why, because there's so many good, good games out there that are for free, ESPN, Yahoo, uh, and ours. And Our game is so user-friendly that you will easily pick it up, uh, it, whether you're a league manager or whether you're just an owner. Extremely, extremely user-friendly. We've got a lot of very cool features. There's one feature that we have which is more for the hardcore guys who play in keeper leagues uh, or make trades pre-draft in seasonal leagues, and that's a custom draft board. And you can't find that anywhere else. So I'm in a keeper league with uh, some friends of mine from CBS, from my CBS days, and I'm keeping Maurice Jones-Drew, Calvin Johnson, and Michael Vick. So I lose a first-round pick for Jones-Drew. I lose a second-round pick for Johnson. I lose a fourth-round pick for, for Michael Vick. I can go in and put those guys into the draft board before the draft. So when it's time to draft, they get taken automatically based on where I put them in the draft board. If you and I make a trade and I take your first-round pick and your third-round pick and you take my second-round pick and my third-round pick, you can change that in the draft board before the draft, which is a really cool cool feature. We've also got advanced, advanced stats now. So basically, you can sort by touches uh, at, at running back, uh, targets at a wide receiver, red zone targets, uh, goal-to-goal targets. We've also got a feature which has sort of become popular over the last couple of years called Fantasy Points Against. So right in your lineup area, you can actually go in and see which one of your players has the best matchup based on the number of fantasy points their opponent has, has allowed to that position in a given week. You can also find that feature on the waiver wire. So that's really useful. We have IDPs this year, individual defensive players. We have everything that you could basically want uh, if you are an expert. And I know there are a lot of guys out there who have probably been playing fantasy football a lot longer than I have that know their stuff just as well as I do, if not better. Uh, or if you're a novice 
it, it really is the best the best platform out there, and I'm not just saying that because I work for the NFL. I don't play any other leagues on uh, on other sites. It's all on NFL.com, and um, again, free, customizable, live scoring. I mean, you name it, in-game video highlights, everything that you basically need to run your fantasy league, and it's really remarkably dependable. Last year was the first year we had our own in-house game. Previously, we had been in uh, with CBS to have a game that I, I think there was only one major issue all year uh, where, where something happened and life scoring stopped or, or, or was some case like that to be in your first year of running a game and have only one thing happen all year throughout every week of the regular season preseason when people are drafting that is an absolute just it, it doesn't happen I used to work at Sportsline, and that game had been one of the most you know, veteran. It was one of the most veteran products out there, and they still had problems. Right. So, our, I, it is it is reliable. It's dependable. It is very user friendly. Uh, and if you don't play on NFL.com, I would definitely uh, ask you to at least check it out. And you know, there's one thing you left out that you do have that I think is absolutely crucial that these days, and that is an app. An iPhone yep. app, so it, that's yep, another. Yep, we ha- yeah, yeah, we have that. Yep, absolutely. So that's another great thing because I would not play anywhere that didn't have an app because I love to have my phone in my hand on Sundays and follow live scoring and things like that. Yep. So I was very ex- excited to see the NFL uh, game come up with that. So that leads me to my second question, and I'm very interested to find out what you say here. There's so many ways to play the game. We can play PPR. We can play non-PPR. We can play keeper, non-keeper. What's your favorite way to play? I like my fantasy to be as close to reality as possible, uh, to be quite honest with you. So I like PPR leagues. I don't like when Deshaun Jackson runs back a punt for a touchdown and I own him and don't get any points. Mm-hmm. I want, uh, so players get points for return yards and touchdowns in my leagues. Defense and special teams do not. Defenses get points for sacks, interceptions, safeties, blocked kicks, forced fumbles, points allowed, uh, yards allowed, etc. I think it's more valuable um, to play in a league where it mirrors the game as, as much as possible. So if I have Deshaun Jackson and he has two touchdown catches and 100 yards receiving and he also has a 75-yard punt return for a touchdown, why in the world should I not get points for that? And most standard leagues don't do that. And that is that. That is one of the one of the stats that I really like, uh, and you can customize that on NFL.com also. That is uh, a very cool, um, to me, uh, a way to make fantasy mirror reality. I love PPR as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I had a draft Sunday. Chris Johnson, I believe, went sixth. How worried yeah. are you about this holdout lasting a significant amount of time and? If mm-hmm. you were, obviously, if you're drafting one, two, or three, you're going elsewhere. When do you start thinking about Chris Johnson? What's too early or too late for him? I mean, it's, I don't know, maybe that's an impossible question to even answer. It, it is tough because you've got scenarios. You have no facts. You have scenarios. What if he misses the first couple of weeks of the season, circa Emmett Smith, 1993, I believe it was, when he held out for the first couple of games uh, right. over a contract yep. with the Cowboys? Um, what if he signs on the dotted line the last week of the preseason, goes out there and pulls a hamstring, a la Darrell Revis last year? Right. 
a lot of scenarios that are possible, but the fact of the matter is, I don't think I'd be able to pass on Chris Johnson if he fell to me at you know, five, right around that area. He's explosive. He is productive. He is also, I think, going to put up better numbers last year than he uh, this year than he did last year. Uh, of course, depending on what happens with the holdout. If I did draft him, you have to get Javon Ringer. There's no doubt about it. You have to go after him. I know Jamie Harper's looked good in the preseason, but uh, Ringer's still the guy to get, uh, at least at this point. It's risk-reward. It is risk-reward. Chris Johnson can go out there and rush for 1,500 yards and score 13 touchdowns and be an absolute beast, and no one would think twice about it. Chris Johnson can also go out there, assuming he signs the contract, uh, and pull up lame in week one and miss three weeks. No one would be surprised about that either. At some point in the first round, it's going to be worth your while to take a chance on him. And I think people are in the same situation with Peyton Manning, too. I was in a draft over the, the, the draft that I had with my friends and my family. He fell into the fifth round, and at the fifth round, I'm like, damn, I'm taking him. I mean, right. that's later than he's going to fall in most drafts, but there comes a point where you have to take a chance. Uh, Michael Crabtree, all kinds of talent can't stay healthy, doesn't have the best relationship with his quarterback, it seems. If he falls into round 10, round 11, I'm going to take a chance on him. Why not? I mean, there's a point in every draft that a fantasy owner is going to have to decide on taking a risk player. Some people don't do it, and they don't want to deal with the gamble. Others, like myself, where, where the price is right, I will absolutely take a chance, because... If it pans out for me, I'm winning the championship, uh, or I'm getting into the playoffs minimal. Um, if it doesn't pan out for me, I, I've got to be smart on the waiver wire and, and, and really be like an NFL GM and, and try to overcome. You mentioned uh, a few guys who maybe the hate has gone too far, too far for. There's a couple guys that I wonder if the love has gone a little too far, and maybe... I think Hakeem Nix has probably separated himself from Mike Wallace a little bit. But as mm-hmm. the preseason started, I was kind of shocked to see how high Hakeem Nix and Mike Wallace were on most draft boards. Are these guys really top five wide receivers in fantasy football? I think Nix is. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you look at the numbers that he put up in his games last year and project them over a full season, he would have led all fantasy receivers in points. And that is absolutely the truth based on NFL.com's standard scoring system. He was having a very good year. Steve Smith is no longer in the mix. I love Mario Manningham as a sleeper, but Hakeem Nix is a guy who can put up 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns easily in that offense. The one issue with him is he needs to stay healthy. You know what? Uh, I'm not a doctor. None of us, no, most of us aren't doctors, and you can't predict injuries. Uh, but he's a second-round pick, in my opinion. I have him uh, in at least one, maybe two leagues. They, I have a few leagues, so it gets confusing sometimes. But right. um, Hakeem Nix, to me, is going to be worth that. And, yes, the Eagles, you know, they, they grab Nandi while They have Dominic Rodgers-Cromartie. They have Asani Samuel. Aside from that team, uh, the schedule for Nix and Manningham, and Eli Manning, for that matter, is really favorable this year. And, you know, you do mention the Eagles as maybe being a tough matchup, but we also did see the before-mentioned, uh, or wait, who was it that burned? Somebody burned Asante Samuel the other night right on the NFL Network for a long touchdown. So, Or was uh, that CBS? Uh, for, uh, 
for the Steelers. For the Steelers, yeah. Asante Samuel yeah. is definitely the guy that got burned, but for some reason I can't think Asante, of Asante Yeah, it was not, Wallace. I think it was Wallace. Asante is, is extremely good. I don't think he's as good as Darrell Rivas personally, but he is extremely good. And we're going to see how good he is because there are some darn good receivers in that NFC East between Miles Austin and Des Bryant and Keem Nix and Mario Manningham, Santana Moss, uh, who unfortunately John Beck looks like his quarterback, so that's going to hurt his value a little bit. Um, he, he's going to have some competition there. Uh, he is definitely going to have some competition. Uh, last year in the AFC West, there was no Vincent Jackson for the Cardinals. Uh, I'm sorry, for the Chargers. Uh, there, there was Brandon Lloyd for the Broncos, and I don't consider Brandon Lloyd an elite wide receiver, even though he did lead the league in fantasy points last year. Um, I, I just really think that more, more than more than Revis, I think Asante uh, uh, Osmoa can be. Uh, he can be beaten. When it comes to quarterbacks, there's a pretty generally a pretty good consensus that there's like a top five or a top six, and those guys you need to get early. If you don't get those guys, if you'd rather wait and not draft Rodgers or Breeze or Manning or Rivers or whoever else you want to throw in that top group, who are the last couple guys that you feel comfortable being the starter for your team in a 10- to 12-team league? Uh, definitely Romo. Uh, if you look at Romo's numbers from the five full starts he had last year and project him over a full year, he outscores Tom Brady in fantasy points. He's got a ridiculous cast of characters in offense with Des Bryant and, and, and Miles Austin and Jason Witten, and I think Felix Jones is going to have a very good season uh, in 2011. Ben Roethlisberger is another guy. Again, I keep talking about projected numbers, but in his 12 starts projected over a full season, he scores more fantasy points than Drew Brees, and that's saying something because Brees is a second-round pick or a third-round pick where you can get Big Ben around five, round six. Uh, somewhere in that area, so the value is definitely there. Uh, you know, Matt Schaub, Matt Ryan, a couple of other guys. I think Matt, I was on Rich Eisen's podcast today, and he loves Matt Ryan. He thinks Matt Ryan could put up Peyton Manning numbers, uh, and he's going to have the weapons in the offense to put up career bests this season. I think Schaub, you look at him with uh, Andre Johnson and Owen Daniels, who's going to be healthy, and Arian Foster out of the backfield, and the, the cast that they have there in Houston, he can throw for some. He can throw for some yards. He's not an elite quarterback. I'd feel comfortable having him as my number one because it's part of the strategy that I personally employ. You will never see me take a quarterback, almost never, before round four or round five. I'm loading up on running backs and wide receivers early, and I know Michael Vick is great, and I love Aaron Rodgers, and, and Drew Brees is fantastic, and Philip Rivers is a beast, and Tom Brady is spectacular. The drop-off between the top running backs and the, the mid-tier running backs and the drop-off between the top quarterbacks and the mid-tier quarterbacks is vastly different. You know, this is one of those years where it feels especially important to get a running back in the first round. I know last year a lot of people were uh, taking wide receivers and quarterbacks a, a little bit more than in most years in the first round, but I think this year it just seems like after maybe McFadden or Turner – it seems to drop off, and you know it's going to be really important to get a gem later in the draft. Who, who are some of your running back sleepers that you can get in the seventh to ninth round area that you think could be that fantasy number two that gets paired up with uh, a stud and, and leads you to a championship? Uh, it's going to be tough this year, especially this year, because there's so many backfield committees. And if you remember... A lot of sleeper running backs come from injuries. Last year, Ben Tate went down. Arian Foster was the guy. Right. Monterio Hardesty in Cleveland goes down, and 
Peyton Hillis is the guy. It happened a few years ago with Ernest Graham uh, when when uh, the Buccaneers were all banged up at the running back position with Cadillac Williams, and he became a sleeper. A lot of these guys you're not going to see um, until something happens during the season. Guys that I think you can get somewhere in round six, round seven, round eight, uh, I love Beanie Wells right now. He is the only guy in that Cardinals backfield, and Ken Wisenhunt does not seem nervous about making him the featured back right now. He's looking at uh, Lerod Stevens Howling and uh, Alfonso Smith in the backfield, and they'll probably sign somebody else, but it's not going to be anyone who's going to share carries. It's going to be Beanie Wells' job to lose. There, there are a couple of other guys who are the sort where you have to worry about committee situations. Like Jonathan Stewart is ultra talented, ultra talented, and I was so disappointed uh, just from a fantasy perspective that D'Angelo Williams stayed in Carolina because that sapped a lot of his value. But Williams has been uh, less than durable over the last couple of years. Williams goes down again. I think Stewart can be, you know, a serious beast in fantasy football. I think Ryan Grant could be a little bit undervalued. People forgot about how good he was the two previous years before 2010 when he hurt his ankle. And he's a starter in Green Bay. And Mike McCarthy is going to use James Darks, but he prefers to have a featured back. So Ryan Grant could be a little bit undervalued in drafts. Mark Ingram, I think, is probably going to get drafted before round six. Uh, I would almost guarantee it. But if he does fall into that area, Listen, he is uh, a very, very high upside running back. Committee situation in New Orleans is almost imminent, but he's going to see the goal line work, and yeah. I think he'll lead the team in backfield touches. So, um, look at look at guys who are potentially behind or, or behind potential injury injury risks. Delone Carter uh, in Indianapolis, if he becomes the number two for the Colts, a die is always hurt. Daniel Thomas in Miami. Reggie Bush is a starter. If the Dolphins think he's going to last 16 games as a starter. They're nuts. Maybe I can be the GM of that team. I'm not sure, <laughs> but um, that's not going to happen. I, as much as I love Darren McFadden, we know he, he, he's dealt with injuries. Michael Bush uh, is someone to take a look at at that point. That's where you have to look at Tim Hightower. He's looked really good in the preseason, and right now he's the starter. But Roy Hallou has also shown some flashes of brilliance, and we all know how Mike Shanahan loves to play with that backfield. Uh, and Sometimes it works wonders for fantasy owners, and sometimes it makes us crazy. But there's some potential there as well. You know, it seems like there's been this bizarre preseason curse on rookie running backs. And so second far, year running or second round running backs. Yeah. Right, yeah. It seems like only so far Daniel Thomas and uh, Mark Ingram have kind of survived that curse up to this point. And as a Saints fan, I'm praying that Ingram can <laughs> can get through it. But uh, do you, do you mentioned Beanie Wells as someone that you're 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 increasing. What about J- Javid Best? Uh, with LaShore going down there, mm-hmm. he's going to yeah. probably have to be a bigger part of the offense than they expected. Can he handle it? That's a good question. That is the that is the caveat with Best. He's explosive. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. If you remember at the beginning of last year, he was scoring touchdowns uh, like they were going out of style. He was unbelievable in the first couple of weeks. And then the turf toe injury happened, and that really sapped him of his explosiveness. He reportedly uh, was tested for a concussion after the during the last preseason right. game the Lions played against the Browns. And that's a reminder. You can draft him as a two, and he has more value in PPR leagues. But remember, he's not durable. And if he gets hurt, you're looking at a committee mess behind him. Maurice Morris, Jerome Harrison, Mike Bell, whoever the case may be. Um, so is he going to go in the third, fourth round? Yeah, likely, especially in a PPR league. But just keep in mind that there is an issue with durability there, and that can, that whether or not he did suffer a concussion or not, the fact that that brought up that was brought up with his name is just a reminder that 
the talent is there for for sure, but there is there is some durability uh, questions that he needs to answer. Whenever you talk about wide receivers in fantasy football, you really have to consider who's throwing the balls to these guys. We saw Larry Fitzgerald take a little bit of a hit last year with uh, his quarterbacks not being quite what they should be. Um, one guy that I'm I'm curious about is Brandon Marshall. He didn't have quite. He, Certainly didn't have a 90-catch season like he has in the past last year. Wh- what do you see out of Marshall? Do you think he's a guy who can bounce back and be the 90-catch uh, receiver that he was in Denver, or do you think he's always going to struggle as long as Chad Honey's behind center there? Well, he, if you look at his numbers over the last three weeks of last season, he started to get a rapport with, with Henny uh, or improve his rapport with Henny, and he was putting up some big totals, not so much in touchdowns but in yardage and catches. I can't see there being any way he doesn't score more than three touchdowns this year, even if it double that and it's six and he has 90 catches. I mean, he had close to 90 catches last year. He was in the 80s somewhere, uh, you know, 1,000 yards. If, if he posts 90 catches, 1,100 yards, and, say, seven touchdowns, that's still the sort of production you're going to get from a number two wideout, which is right around where he's projected. He's, he's a high-end number two. The talent is there. Not thrilled about the quarterback. I'll tell you, I was hoping they traded for Kyle Orton because that would have been a slam dunk in fantasy football. Yeah. you got Orton reunited with Brandon Marshall. They played together, remember, with the Broncos. Great for Orton's value, great for Marshall's value. Then you got Tim Tebow, assuming uh, that he passes Brady Quinn, as the starting quarterback for the Broncos. And in the last three weeks of 2010, there wasn't a player in fantasy football who scored more points than Tebow. Unfortunately, that trade didn't happen. But Marshall is a guy who will, he's, he's going to be risk-reward. He's either, going to be, um, he's either going to be very good based on his draft position because, again, he'll go somewhere in the fourth or fifth round and put up numbers like he did in Denver, uh, or he is going to be what he was last year, uh, a, a number two who... Yardage and receptions will be there. Uh, the touchdowns need to improve, and I think the touchdowns will improve this year. I don't see how Marshall doesn't get more involved in that offense, especially with Brian Dable calling the shot. So I, I think Marshall improves. Not an, not an elite guy, not a number one guy like he was with the Broncos, but definitely a two in fantasy land. Are there any rookie wide receivers or maybe some of the rookies from last year that are now second-round players? Uh, Aurelius Ben in Tampa Bay comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, A.J. Green and obviously Julio Jones are the two big rookie ride receivers this year. Do any of those first or second round guys interest you? you think that they could play above uh, ADP? Uh, ben, uh, I'd like to see uh, a little bit more from him, especially because he's coming off an ACL. So I- I'd be a little bit concerned about Mike Williams in Tampa Bay just because of the whole sophomore slump. And right. Is he the next Michael Clayton, uh, which God, Tampa Bay owner, uh, Tampa Bay fans and fantasy owners alike are, are praying that doesn't happen. Um, the wide receiver that I'd look out for this year, who's a rookie, is Greg Little. And yes, AJ Green is more talented. AJ Green's also got Andy Dalton throwing the football, right. and the targets will be there. The consistency likely won't be. Now, I'm not saying Greg Little is going to be Mike Williams. And I'm not saying that Colt McCoy is any great shakes, too, but Colt McCoy's looked pretty good in the preseason. He's clearly worked on his game, and there were reports that he had met with Brett Favre to help learn more about the, the, the West Coast offenses and the, and the intricacies of that system. And I think Greg Little could be the Mike Williams of 2010 in, in, in so far as he leads all wide receivers in fantasy points, not saying he's going to have 11 touchdowns, but 
he could have eight, 900 yards and score six, seven times and, and be useful as a three or a matchup-based starter, um, something like that. Julio Jones has really drawn rave reviews from everyone who's watched him play. I actually met him at the NFL Network and called him Julio by accident, so I'm <laughs> sure he won't forget that. Uh, I, got, I got Julio Jones and Julius Jones mixed up in my mouth, and it came out Julio. <laughs> but anyways, talent, unmistakable. Upside, great. He's probably the third option in that offense, and that's behind Michael Turner and Roddy White. And if you throw Tony Gonzalez into the mix, maybe he's the fourth option in that in that offense. So, and Douglas. they're going to they're they're going to throw it more. Are they going to throw it more uh, to the point where Julio Jones could be a thousand yard guy? No. Could he have eight hundred yards and six seven touchdowns? Certainly. Sportscasters are here with Michael Fabiano from NFL.com and the NFL Network. Also, you can find him on Twitter. He is at Michael underscore Fabiano. Just a couple more minutes left. Who are some guys that you just are not going to draft? And I know you mentioned the quarterbacks that you like to wait a little bit. So I don't necessarily mean strategy-wise. But just there's always a few guys that people are just want to stay away from. Like mm-hmm. maybe, for example, you've been burned in the past by – you were burned last year by Marcus Colston. So you're just never going to draft him again. Are there any guys that are, you know – are, 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 that are out there that you're just staying away from this year that you feel like are big, have big bust potential? I mean, I never say never. Right. If, There's always if, the right if, value. If, if I get, right. right. I mean, if I get Peyton Hillis in the fourth round as my number two, I'm taking him. If I can get Brandon Lloyd as my third receiver in the middle rounds, I'm going to take him. Do I think Brandon Lloyd's going to be what he was last year? No chance on God's green earth, not in that offense. He went from past laden Josh McDaniels to ground and pound John Fox, and so he is not going to do what he did uh, last year, this season. Uh, I, if you wear a Seattle Seahawks uniform, I'm not drafting you likely. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, very talented, upside in Buffalo. I don't know that maybe he's got a two-cent head, but he's not, he's not the same running back he was. Two-cent head uh, is generous. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> Sidney Rice, talented, um, Look at the numbers, though. In his 20 career games without Brett Favre, he averaged 2.9 receptions a game. He's injury-prone. Uh, I don't care that he played with DeVars Jackson before. It's DeVars Jackson. And the last three free agent uh, wide receivers who ended up in Seattle, I believe Deion Branch may have been traded to Seattle, was Branch, Hushman Zada, and Nate Burleson, and they all disappeared. Seattle, clearly the Bermuda Triangle of the NFL in terms of wide receivers. I don't like Sidney Rice at all. Uh, I'm uh, I'm worried that people expect to get magical breakout season seasonal numbers from guys who had magical breakout seasons in 2010. Arian Foster might score 100 fewer fantasy points this year and still have a good year. Brandon Lloyd not even going to come close. Michael Vick averaged almost 28 fantasy points a game last year. That's not happening again this year. It's just not. It's the magical season. Peyton Hill has 331 touches. He's not going to get that many touches again this year. The Browns can't afford to have that happen because he broke down physically at the end of last year. I interviewed Peyton, and he admitted to me that it gets to a guy when you're getting pounded all, all the time, especially when you play in the AFC North with the Steelers and, and the Ravens. You have to temper your expectations. You really do. And if you look at the percentages outside of the big names, a lot of times players who finish in the top five or the top ten at their position don't get back there the next year. Outside of the big names, outside of the AJs and the Antonio Gateses and the Chris Johnsons and the Adrian Petersons, that guy, the, you know, those kind of players, 
there's turnaround and you need to draft with your head. And if you had Michael Vick on your team last year and he was a godsend and he scored you 50 points against the Redskins and he won you your fantasy championship, that's great. That was last year. Um, doesn't mean he's going to do it again. One last thing I want to ask you. We had Jay Clemens from the National Football Post on a couple of weeks ago, and he, he was so he, he said that no one had ever asked him this question. He was so excited to, to answer it, so I'm going to throw it out to you as well. What is okay. your favorite way to handle waivers? Do you like to do the blind bid kind of thing? Do you like open waivers? If you were to start a league, how would you handle waivers? Traditional waivers is, is where, where I'm uh, where I'm at, which is basically guy goes on waivers, he is unavailable for uh, you know a period of time, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever the case may be. I like to do one day, and the team that has the worst record or the highest waiver position gets them. The blind bidding. Maybe it's just me because my schedule is insane. I just don't have time to do that kind of thing. I've right. been in leagues where you do that. And to me, it's just it's a headache. I'm just like, uh, I can't do this. I don't have time to do this kind of stuff. I just want to put my waivers in and be done. I don't like 48-hour waiver periods. I don't like first-come, first-serve, especially in the leagues that I'm in with, with the Sharks that I'm in with. A lot of good guys in these leagues, man. Guys from ESPN and, and Fantasy Guru and Roto World. It's it's tough. Um, a lot of times you do get bitten by that. Say some guy, uh, news comes out that someone is hurt and out for the year and the backup is available on waivers uh, or on the free agent market and he hasn't been dropped in the last 24 hours. You still, at that point, it's first come, first serve. And, and geez, i got to go to the waiver wire quick and try to grab this guy. Uh, but for the most part, the blind bidding... I can see where people like it. Just me personally, I, I like the traditional waivers. All right, it's the Sportscasters. Michael Fabiano, very nice enough to join us. You can find him on NFL.com. You can find him on the NFL Network. I said at Michael underscore Fabiano on Twitter. What else do you want to plug? What else do you want to promote? I know you do that. You, you do the fantasy show with Damashek, right, on Sundays during the year? Correct. I yep. love that. That yep. is so we're underrated. Gonna again, um, we're we're going to be doing actually – a daily fantasy show also on NFL.com. That's going to be starting next week. And that uh, is also going to be the Sunday show with, with myself and Adam Rank and David Damashek. Uh, on Sundays, Dave is the best. Uh, he cracks me up, man. The, the shame reports are, are some of the funniest stuff on, on the Internet. He's just magnificently talented in, in the comedy realm. He's great, and he knows his fantasy sports, too. Uh, sign up for NFL.com Fantasy. That is what I want uh, to plug more than myself or anything else. Uh, I am really excited for the product that we have and excited for the people who sign up and give it a shot because they're not going to be disappointed. And we also are going to be having a podcast this year. We're going to be on SiriusXM Live on Wednesdays. I'm not going to be getting much sleep this, <laughs> this football season, but I would not have it any other way. We've got a lot to offer, and NFL.com slash fantasy is the place to go to find it all. Yeah, and you would never be on this show if it wasn't for the great Dave Damashek. He's definitely he's definitely <laughs> Dave, the reason I, you do I actually did I did email Dave and I asked him, and uh, he uh, you know he told me he's like oh yeah you should do it. I, I get so many requests it's it's like unbelievable. And um, Dave is actually yes he is he is the reason I came on. I'm glad I uh, I'm glad I reached out to him and uh, um, you know, I appreciate uh, appreciate talking fantasy football whenever I get a chance. Obviously, well, it was great on our end. We couldn't appreciate it more. So I hope you had a good time, and thank you very, very much. I like it, and if I do come on again, play a little warrant next time because we have to have 
sort of something for Janie Lane who died a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, rest in we peace. Gotta, we got we to gotta get out with a little Jerry Pye or Don Boys or something like that. Now I'm dating myself <laughs> because I love all the old glam bands, but, uh, but that would be great. Well, I'll tell you what. We would love to have you again, and if we do get the chance, I promise Warren or any other artist you would <laughs> like. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, Thanks buddy. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Don, I gotta think there's at least one person out there who right now is listening to this. A little and, confused. And they're like, am I am I tripping right now? <laughs> What's going on? How come three things is in the middle today? Yep. This is usually at the start. But since we had Michael Fabiano on and we knew we wanted to have that as the first interview in the show, we figured we'd move five and fantasy to the top. And that's why three things is here. So since it is in the middle of the show, there's really no introduction needed. We just need to get into three things. And my first thing. For the week, we played the clip off the top of the show at the very beginning. Chris Drury has retired from what was really an incredible NHL hockey career. Um, I saw a joke somewhere that said, former Little League World Series star retires from something called the NHL, (laughs) which I got a laugh out of. But uh, Chris Drury did play in 892 NHL games, and he scored 255 goals. 360 assists, 615 points, but that didn't even tell the whole story Not at all. of his career. He was so much more than that. Um, in 135 playoff games, he had 47 goals, 42 assists, and 89 points, which is at a much higher pace than his regular season totals. He also won a national championship in college at Boston University, won a Stanley Cup in Colorado. He also won the Rookie of the Year, the Calder Trophy, and the National Hockey League. He was a third-round pick in 1994-95 draft by the Quebec Nordiques, 72 overall. He played for the Avalanche, one year for the Flames, three very, very memorable seasons for the Buffalo Sabres, and four somewhat difficult years in New York. Uh, Sometimes, you know, I don't want to say Chris Drury chased the money. I don't think it was that. I think he really wanted... To play, for his, to play for his hometown team. Yeah, the team. Sabres would have matched, so he left to go. He, he left to do what he wanted to do, and I just don't think it worked out probably quite as well as he planned. And people sometimes will always say, well, look at the Sabres were right not to sign him because look at how it worked out in New York. But you know what? Chris Drury meant more to the Sabres than he did to the Rangers. And if the Sabres would have kept him and kept Danny Briere, that team would maybe would have won a Stanley Cup. So... I don't care about how anyone perceives his seasons. And the first two seasons were great. He had 25 goals and 22 goals, 58 points and 56 points the first two years. You know, and for a guy who's not really a point scorer, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, not at all. You know, I mean, his greatest total here was 69 points. So it's not too far off that pace. But Drury's a, uh, a, sh- a strange guy in that – there's guys that are popular because you hear a lot about him, you see a lot about him in the media. He's popular 100% because of what he did on the ice and the Little League World Series stuff, and he was just a winner. 
They did, or I heard a local uh, reporter talking about him in his time in Buffalo, and he said he was very difficult to reporters and stuff like that. Not rude or anything like that, but just not accessible. And if you really think about Drury, you don't remember him talking a whole Quiet. lot. Yeah, yeah he, he just, he's a guy that he was business. absolutely everybody loved, but he really didn't say much. He, he was all by example. There's guys like Marty Baran and uh, even Danny Breer, who Sabres fans still love, and uh, those guys, you liked them for what they did on the ice and because they have great personalities. Drury was 100% about what he did on the ice and his leadership and uh, just Captain Clutch. Great career. I yeah. miss him. I miss watching him play. I loved it. A slightly lighter note, uh, unless your name is Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday got had to leave a baseball game Monday night. He's a uh, player Car- for the St. Cardinals. St. Louis Cardinals, right. He had to leave a game against the Dodgers because with two outs in the top of the eighth inning, he walked off the field holding his ear. Uh, apparently a moth flew into his ear and then, like, climbed deep inside his ear. What an idiot so, moth. I mean, it's just it's kind of a funny story, but it's got to suck to have a moth climb into your ear. That's a disaster. Yeah, it is a disaster. It's kind of a silly story following the jury thing, but... I thought, man, what a weird... You were just saying it before, how baseball players will have to leave games for the strangest reasons, and that's one of the weirdest I've heard. Well, I hardly like a Q-tip in my ear, so I could not imagine... (laughs) just a bug climbing in there? ...the feeling of a moth in your ear. So that's a bummer. Uh, My second thing, it's baseball-related. The regular season is basically over. The Yankees are 77 and 48, so how many games is that? Math wizard Don. I'm sorry. What'd you say? 70, 77 and forty eight. is how many games? One hundred and fifteen, right? One hundred and fifteen. So they got to play one hundred and sixty two of these, and it's over. One hundred twenty five. One hundred and twenty five. So they got to play one hundred and sixty two of these, and it's done. Boston and New York are one game apart, and that would seem like a great wild card race. But both of them are going to make the playoffs because right now the Red Sox are seven and a half games ahead of the next best team in the wild card race right. so that's over then you go down to the al central detroit has a five game lead on cleveland and a five and a half game lead on the white Sox. that's not necessarily over but it's getting there and texas has a five game lead on the angels that's another one obviously the angels could come back and the Indians could come back. But it's going to be tough to do at this point. You go to the National League. The Braves are six and a half games behind the Phillies, despite having the same amount of wins as the Yankees. That, they're, not, they're not catching the, the Phillies. It's not going to happen. Phillies are 82 and 44. Uh, no one's catching them. Milwaukee has a nine-game lead on St. Louis. And by the way, Pittsburgh, who w- had a one-game <laughs> lead in this division 15 out now it's 15 and a half out 15 and a half and the one and only true race left in baseball is the nl west where arizona and san francisco are separated by one game so basically from now until october we get to watch san francisco and arizona fight out for the only real legitimate at this point spot available unless cleveland or la can make their division a bit closer. But otherwise, man, oh, man, it's going to be a long, 
six weeks. Yeah, I know the baseball haters that uh, are out there will always say to you, oh, man, it's just too many games, 162 games. It doesn't mean anything. But somehow or another, even though there's 162 games, it seems like there's there's always two teams that have tied or, like, one game apart or it ends up closer than you think it should. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like it this year. My second thing, I know we said we wouldn't talk too much about football on this podcast, but real quickly, a lot of big signings in the NFL. Joe Thomas signs a seven-year deal for $84 million. Uh, Lawrence Timmons, linebacker of the Steelers, signs a six-year, $50 million. Larry Fitzgerald's going to get like $47 million guaranteed in the next three years. And good for those teams. I mean, these aren't – I mean, Pittsburgh's a big, bigger brand – but uh, the Cleveland Browns, Arizona Cardinals, they're not big teams. These are the types of moves that I would love to see my team, the Bills, make more often. I know uh, Andrew – he wanted to say Andrew Peters. I can't remember his first name all Jason of a sudden. Peters. Jason Peters. Jason Peters went on to Philly, and he's kind of been a bust there. But that said, when he was here, he was one of the best players, and we let him walk rather than signing him long term. Joe Thomas is going to be – He's one of the best players in the league if you believe that left tackle is an important, important position. as people do. Right. So, I mean, for teams like these, smaller market teams that are – I mean, Arizona's not a tiny market or anything, but they don't have, like, the largest fan base in the world. For these teams to lock up their players and make these major investments is uh, something I'd like to see my owner start to do a little bit more. That would be nice. My last thing today – what a difference a day or two makes. Just yesterday, the whole nation of Canada was thrilled that their Little League World Series team had pulled off an amazing upset over uh, China Taipei. Is that, how you, is that, is that correct? Is that? Taipei is, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So they pull off this amazing upset against uh, an Asian team put it like that in case I'm butchering the country's <laughs> name. But I think it's China Taipei sounds right. But anyway, today they lost to Japan and they're out. So, so much for that, Canada. <laughs> you had your one day to celebrate this huge upset at Will- in Williamsport, but now you're out. Japan beat you. Uh, everything's back to normal at the Little League World Series. Canada's not in it anymore. And you know what's interesting about the Canadian team is they were actually led by two Asian kids who ended up settling in Canada. So they were, you know, nationalized players. Right, right. One of them's name was Yai Fan Pan. Yai Fan Pan, Don. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And then they also had a kid named Nick Atkinson. Nick Atkinson? Yeah. Nick Atkinson led off. I could hear the guy at Williamsport leading off for Canada. Nick Atkinson batting second. Yai fan pan. <laughs> that's but very. That's what. Yeah, that's the first thing I would think of is Canadian. When see I you hear later, Yai fan pan. See you later, Canada. Uh, the last story of the day. Oh, uh, sorry, Rob, and sorry the score. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last story of the day is a little. It, it's a lot bit sad. Uh, we don't talk a lot of women's basketball, but Pat Summit is a recognizable figure, whether or not you follow women's college basketball. And apparently she's been diagnosed with early-onset dementia. She is going to play uh, coach this year. She says there will be no, quote, pity party. Um, she's always seemed like a tough lady, but that has to be absolutely horrifying to basically know you're going to lose your mind, basically, and have to – I don't think – there's just no way to stop it, and it's got to be terrifying and – 
my thoughts go out to her. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, my grandmother passed away of Alzheimer's. And I've witnessed this process before. Uh, from age five, uh, the story basically goes that this is the first time I knew my grandma was sick. Uh, my mom and my aunt were just starting to notice that things were a bit off, and they are keeping a little bit of a better eye on her. And since everyone was going to be gone for the day, they suggested that she go down to the mall and see a movie. And it happened to be when Beaches was in the theaters. Right. And my mom and aunt thought that that would be perfect for my grandma because she was a big Barbra Streisand fan. And when we all came home that night, my grandma was scared, and she was complaining about the movie and how it was real bloody and scary and how she was worried. And it turned out that she had accidentally went to see, for whatever reason, The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of the clue that things were going really wrong with grandma. And then the next thing you know, my dad would have to remind her how to get home after babysitting at my house. Right. And it gets really sad really fast. And there's nothing you can do about it. And our hearts definitely go out to to uh, Pet, Summit. Pet Summit, who's been nothing but classy and fantastic as one of the greatest women's basketball coaches of all time and really a pioneer in women's sports. Uh, who knows if women's basketball, if there'd be a WNBA without a Pet Summit, you could probably make that argument that there might not be. You can definitely make the argument that there wouldn't be a me without my grandma. So <laughs> that's a safe argument. Definitely yeah. a good time to uh, to say hello to Grandma and hope she's doing well wherever she is. But um, let's end the sadness. Uh, hope that Pat can get through this as best as she can, and we'll take a break and be right back with Ken Fang. <laughs> Our next guest is from Ithaca, New York, and is a graduate of the University of Rhode Island. He is a former award-winning radio news reporter and currently blogs on a site of his own creation called Fangs Bites. His blog focuses on all things sports media and the reality show The Amazing Race. His blog usually gets about 2,500 unique hits a day and has had over 1 million. He also occasionally provides blogs for Boston Sports Media Watch. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Ken Fang. How are you doing today, Ken? Guys, it's great to be on with you and great to be on the uh, award-winning sportscaster's uh, podcast. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know what award we've won just yet. Uh, maybe most handsome, <laughs> most handsome host. I think we've won that one uh, a couple years running now. But other than that, uh, it's good to have you on the show. But the first thing we have to do, I guess, is clear up you're a Bruins fan? Like, yes, I am. Oh, okay. Well... <sighs> Stanley Cup winning Bruins fan, by the way. I, I mean, I didn't win the Stanley Cup, but the Bruins did. Award, did that really award winning Bruins. Did that, did that <laughs> re- in the glory, let's just put it that way. Oh, man. Well, you know what? I was at the Brad May walking Ray Bork and ending their 1993 season game. So take that, Ken. <laughs> well, nothing can hurt me now. Just, it's just like when the Red Sox won the 2004 World Series, Bucky Dent. Bill Buckner, those don't hurt me anymore. So those, those, the Brad May and everything that was really painful, like uh, what happened to, to Cam Neely and going all the way back to the the, 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 the Garden losing its power, that, that doesn't hurt me anymore. So I, 
once you win a championship, every all the pain goes away. You win a what? <laughs> We're in Buffalo. We've never heard of a never heard of those. <laughs> exactly. I know. I'm sorry. That's okay. So here's one thing I'm very excited to talk to you about. You posted a press release on your website today that the mm-hmm. CBS announced their broadcast pairings for the 2011 season. And I think everyone's been kind of excited to see this release because they added Mar- Marv Albert this year. And I think we've all been kind of wondering where is Marv going to fit in uh, with Jim Nance and Greg Gumbel. And we found out that he's kind of being treated as kind of a lower in the totem pole than I would have expected. I don't know if it surprised you where he is, but it kind of surprised me. And then I was even shocked even more when I realized that where he stands means he has to broadcast Bills versus Chiefs opening week. I don't know. Are right. you surprised by this at all? I'm kind of – I kind of I, am. I thought he would be probably – I don't think he would have been in the first two, but at least I thought he would be with teams at least with Dan Fouts um, taking the Iron Eagle spot. But uh, it was kind of strange to see him in num- number four and, and not even eligible for any playoffs. So I would have loved to have heard Marv called at least, you know, maybe one playoff game, maybe a wild card playoff game down the road. But, uh, you know, it, it's strange. But maybe Marv just said, look, don't – don't treat me any differently. I'm, I'm kind of used to, you know, when I started at NBC, I, I kind of was lonely on the totem pole. I don't want to take anybody's spot here. Maybe that's what he said. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, in a sense, it was a trade for, you know, Marvin, you know, took Gus Johnson's spot. Right. And, and, and basically, he's a couple of spots above Gus. So, um, yeah, it, it was kind of strange. But, you know what, um, Marvin is one of those people who was saying, look, I'm coming in fresh i'm not i don't have the seniority so maybe i'll just take whatever you give me so he's you know he's he's not the type of guy to like uh, i mean i some people kind of feel that he might have taken iron eagle spot when he went to the s network to do the next games but uh you know he didn't take iron spot here in this case i don't know what you've heard about this and maybe this is switching topics a little too quickly maybe we should have spent more time on the cbs thing i don't know but while you were talking i was thinking about what a disaster it was the other night when Fox decided to bring Terry Bradshaw into the booth with uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, who can, he just can't talk. No. What what no. are they doing? I mean, that was just an experiment, right? As far as you know and as far as you've heard from your contacts and working a sports media blog, they were just having fun with that i hope right i mean no yeah it, it, it's a one time it was a okay. one time thing only so they're not going to put terry in the broadcast booth uh and i don't think terry wants to go in the broadcast booth to be honest with you i think he likes being in los angeles and having the ability to go out you know after go out to dinner after the games so and when everything's said and done on fox nfl sunday so i think that was just a one-time thing from what i understand and you're right joe buck He's had this bad voice since after the Super Bowl, and he's done all these type of games on on both the MLB and now this situation, and he doesn't sound good at all. So uh. they, I, I, it's just to me they should they should give him a rest. To be honest, I almost feel like he doesn't want to be Wally Pipped. You know, like he's guarding his spot with his with his career in the right. in the balance. You know what I mean? It's almost like. Someone was going to shoot him, and he pulled his career in front of himself to block it. You know, it's it's <laughs> like it's like, dude, you can't talk, and you're a right. broadcaster. Are you nuts? You know, take the time off and get right. But it feels to me like he's he's like 
almost has this attitude, and I'm speculating here because I don't know Joe, but it almost mm-hmm. feels like he's guarding his spot and saying, I can't risk not being the guy and let someone else come in and do this because who knows, maybe I'll never get back to this point or something like that. Yeah, it seems strange. And, and every time I, I talk to people at Fox regarding this, they say, well, he's recovering or he's 80 percent. He doesn't sound any better than he did back in June, and he doesn't sound any better than, than when he did his first game. So I, I don't understand it. Um, I think people would understand if he decided to take some time off. But as you mentioned, he just seems to be stubborn, and, and he, he claims that his voice is getting stronger. But to be honest with you, I don't hear it. I don't hear it either. It just sounds equally as bad as it did at the All-Star game and Mm -hmm. as bad as it sounded when we first heard this. And I don't know. I guess we both we agree. So there's nothing else to say about it except for, you know, God bless him. He's definitely definitely rolling the dice. You know what I mean? So I don't know how, how it will end up. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing is, every time I've, I've said something on Twitter about his voice, Fox people are very quick to respond to me. And the Fox Sports PR people are quick to respond to me on, on direct messaging on Twitter, saying, oh, well, uh, don't don't pick on Joe. I go, well, look, he's putting himself out there, you know? Right. When, when, you, when you're in a public position, and in a high-profile position, and it's not like he's... He, he's Dick. Well, I don't want to say Dick Stockton because everyone picks on Dick. So let's say, but let's say he's Sam Rosen, you know, doing the fifth best game or seventh best game on Fox, and not too many people see him. He's doing the national game every week, whether it be uh, MLB or NFL, and you can't hide that. Right. And, and the thing is, is that I, I told the Fox people, look, I don't think anybody would under would would kill him for taking time off but you know I, I i think you're right i think joe's a little bit stubborn here and thinks that he's going to lose his job unless he comes back and does his work yeah and and like i said i i feel like i feel like hey may, another analogy maybe he's 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 playing russian roulette i don't know mm-hmm. i just because I, I i'm not the guy who hates him no matter what you know sometimes i'm a little puzzled by some of the joe buck hate because I do think that he's really good at what he does. You know, I can laugh at him just as much as anyone when he goes crazy because Randy Moss faked mooning Glambo. You know, like <laughs> I can laugh at him in that case. But I still think I'm probably on the side that likes Joe more than, you know, where you can – there's – on Twitter, he's announcing a game. There's always people who just can't stand the guy, and I'm not one of those. And, you know, I hope the best for him, but – I don't know. It just it just doesn't seem right. And like you said, he's opening himself up to this criticism by not taking any time off, and he doesn't even address it. You know what I mean? Like it, it's almost like it's a like it's you know a, a quiet thing. I, I don't think he's on Twitter, is he? Uh, he had a, an account when he did his HBO show, and it's still open. By the way, it's called Joe Buck Live, uh-huh. and it's still there. He do, I don't think he tweets, but he did at one time. Um, but I think a lot of people, of course, you know, I, I'll admit I'm, I'm not a big fan of his. I don't think he, he, he does a good job on the play-by-play. I don't think he is a number one play-by-play guy. Right, he's not Al Michaels. No, no. no. Yeah. And, and I think that he's – I think he would probably – on CBS, I think he'd probably be the fourth announcer, to be honest with you, but not above Marv Albert or, or Ian Eagle. I think he'd be number four. But um, – I just, I just think that he does, he's not a number one announcer, and he doesn't carry the games quite well nationally. 
but you know, I'm I'm not running Fox Network, and you know, a lot of people think he's over there thinks he's good, and they they, they hang their hat on him. So, um, but it, it's he has addressed it once. He did address it before the All Star Game with Michael Heiskan of USA Today and talked about it extensively. And he also talked with um, um, from in the St. Louis Post Dispatch during the, that time as well. He addressed it, but other than those times, he hasn't really talked about his uh, voice problem. I want to go back a little bit into the summer and ask your opinion about something because it kind of surprised me. And it's the whole Olympic rights thing. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised that – I mean obviously based on the bid that ESPN did put out, they didn't want the Olympics as much as maybe we were led to believe going into it. But I was Mm -hmm. still really surprised that ESPN wanted something and didn't get it. Were you at all taken back by the fact that NBC ended up retaining those rights? And the second question with that is, do you think that all the support that ESPN got by promising more live events will push NBC into finally showing more live Olympic coverage or not? I think, uh, to address your second question for us, they have promised that they will show more live uh, starting in 2014. Now, their plans are for 2012 are already set in stone. Uh, I think they will, that will be mostly tape delayed, but starting in 2014, we'll, we'll see more live stuff, more stuff online, uh, more stuff that's going to be shown. Uh, there'll be some packaging. That's, there's no doubt about that, especially with uh, Sochi coming up in 2014, the Winter Olympics, and uh, the, Olymp- the, the Winter Olympics in South Korea. We're going to be seeing, you know, some tape delays there. But right. um, uh, there will be most, of, for the most part, they will be live, and I think that's going to be a good thing. Um, as far as the bids are concerned, I think, yeah, I think maybe ESPN was talking about it to drive the bids up higher. And, yeah, I was kind of surprised that they only bid for one uh, Olympiad, one set of Olympics, whereas the International Olympic Committee had said, look, we want to see a guy, we want to see an entity bid for two at least, and we're looking for this much. And ESPN kind of made a low-ball bid. And it, it did surprise me considering all the all of the talk that they were making in regards to the Olympics. But as you mentioned, if they won an event, they will bid high for it, and they will make sure they get it. And uh, they did that with Wimbledon. They did that with um, the Pac-12. Pac they did that with uh, the World Cup. But kind of surprising they didn't do it with the NCAA tournament, and they also didn't do it with the, uh, with the Olympics. And uh, you know, I wasn't surprised that NBC decided to bid so high because it's their legacy and they didn't want to lose it. Um, Fox kind of you know surprised me. I thought they were going to bid higher on it, but they you know, they didn't. But what really surprised me was to see ESPN go so low. And now the, it, was just, it was as if they didn't even try. Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, and I guess, you know, my biggest reaction afterwards well, was, well, I guess they didn't want it as much as we thought they did. And like you said, maybe they were driving the price up on their buddies so they could snag a couple other events, like you mentioned, right. Wimbledon. And, you know, so maybe they were trying to make some other events more affordable. Let's talk about – I have some questions for you about ESPN, but I also have some NBC questions. So let's just stick with NBC for a second. Sure. NBC and Comcast obviously made this big merger. And probably the biggest, the biggest part of it for sports fans is the fact that Versus is now going to be called the NBC Sports Network. And the NHL signed probably one of the only times I've ever heard the word billion associated with mm-hmm. the NHL, a $20 billion rights fee to not – 
be on ESPN and to stick with what's now versus and what will soon be the NBC Sports Network. Do you think that 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 the NHL struck a little bit of luck here? And do you think that based on the fact that they're going to keep the they're going to use the NBC brand and attach it to this station, do you think that that's going to make it grow to a point where the NHL isn't going to be hurt quite as much by not being on ESPN? Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I I wrote something on my blog called the, the Five Minutes about uh, the NHL bid, and one of it was go, about ESPN. And mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, I, I think when Versus first came in and took the NHL uh, rights away, I was one of the first to say, "Look, this is the worst move they could have made." But as Versus has gone along, I've kind of been a little bit of a convert, and I, I kind of like what they're doing. And I've also seen some growth, which is what, uh, I hate to say this, Gary Bettman, because I'm really not a Gary Bettman lover, the NHL commissioner. But Who is? He, he, he's actually been proven a little right here about about growing with verses and seeing, you know, the uh, audience go up and their, their ratings are, are going up much better. And now that NBC and, and uh, Versus and Comcast are married together, uh, we're going to be seeing some more... Um, clearance for verses, you know, because that's always a big complaint. I can't see them. I don't get them on my house. Uh, my cable system doesn't pick them up. My satellite system doesn't pick them up. Well, it's and now hotels. growing. And now with NBC doing a lot more, uh, we're, we're going to be seeing a lot more clearance for verses. Do you think the NFL turning point helps legitimize them a little bit, too, getting some football coverage on verses? Or absolutely. I, I think that that is absolutely true. Um, I, I, I had heard that... Um, NBC Sports Network slash versus was going to get something like this. Um, the fact that you're going to be seeing um, NFL films involved, um, I think this could be a precursor to seeing Thursday Night Football eventually being ending up on NBC Sports Network next year. I mean, the bid is going to be announced right. sometime later this year. So, yeah, absolutely. It legitimizes them. And also, you know, there's a lot more things coming up versus NBC Sports Network in the next year or so, in the next 12 months. That we're going to be seeing Olympics, um, Notre Dame football. So there's there's going to be a lot of growth potential here for uh, for versus and you know to become a true competitor with ESPN. I'll tell you what, if versus slash the NBC Sports Network signs the deal for that those eight NFL games, I bet you Gary Bettman is going to be doing backflips down uh, <laughs> down the street Absolutely. in Manhattan because I can't think of anything better for a better platform for advertising your product than during an NFL football game. So that, that would be, that would be unbelievable. It's got to be uh, poker and bull riding and fishing. So <laughs> exactly. Or, or the indie, indie racing. You mean the indie racing hasn't come and uh, done a lot for the NHL either? No, <laughs> I don't think the tour de France coverage has <laughs> helped no, them either. No, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> so a couple of ESPN questions. One is we had James, James Andrew Miller on the show. I think he was on a lot of shows, so I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything. <laughs> but my question is, uh, did anything jump out at you when you read that, assuming you took the time to read that almost evil 800-page monstrosity that he wrote? <laughs> when, when, it came, when it came in the mail and I first looked at it, I, I started to sweat, thinking, oh, my God, I have to read this thing before this guy comes on. But, I mean, it was a great book, and I enjoyed it. But I'm curious as to what you know, might have jumped out in your mind. You know, of course, everyone went crazy about the uh, first excerpts about, you know, the, the the sex and everything that went on. But what really 
struck me was how you know, it was it's real life history of ESPN, and it really shows the beginnings of of everything. I found that fascinating, at least to me. And um, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to ESPN um, for a meeting. And that's what they talked about. They, they all talked about the book, and they said, well, it was kind of disappointing based on, the, uh, based on the publicity. But at the same time, just to find out about the history of ESPN and how it started and how, where we came from, you know, that was the stuff that, that, that stuck with everybody, the staffers at ESPN. And I think that's um, a good way to, for a younger generation to find out about how ESPN came about. It, it's not, it hasn't been this big entity. So that's what stuck with me. Uh, and besides, you know, of course, the, um, Michelle Beadle comments about Aaron Andrews, that's, of course, you know, stuck with me, too. Right, but right, yeah. Then again, Michelle Beadle's a little bit of a, kind of like a Twitter friend of mine. She goes back and forth with me um, privately on Twitter. So um, that, that was a little exciting, too. You mentioned, you mentioned the beginning of the book and how it's really kind of like a business book. And I, I, I had a laugh at how, in the beginning, people didn't quite understand what cable exactly was and how James Andrew Miller wrote about how there was the preacher who paid mm-hmm. money just to broadcast something to God. Right. Do you remember that part of the book? I mean, I got a, yeah. I got a yeah. big kick out of that, and I thought of that when you mentioned how the beginning of the book, really, it's really a 200-page business book, and then, you know, the next 600 pages is, is about... Uh, you know all that other Gossip. juicy yeah. ESPN <laughs> stuff, but right. you know it really does right. seem like a, a. It reads like a business book for the first two hundred pages or so, and I got a good laugh out of that uh, preacher who actually paid money for them to beam something to God. I wonder if he saw it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it kind of reminds me of like the old you know Seinfeld paper Jew type of episode when they're right. talking about the rabbi going on going on pay per view cable to get it get people to watch him. Exactly. So, okay, so my next ESPN question after that was going to be, what is going on with this Texas network that they came up with? Mm. Because I heard all about it for so long, and now it's getting to be time where it should be, I feel like it's kind of falling flat in a way, and a lot of the plans that they had are getting shot down for one reason or another, like, you know, it seems like they're not going to be able to do high school football games and things of that nature. Is this going to be a bust for them, kind of like the phone, or do I just need to be more patient and let this kind of evolve a bit? Well, I like that reference, ESPN, the phone. Oh, <laughs> never forget that one. That, that's a great reference by you. I like that. Um, I tried to forget that, and now you reminded me of that. I, I have to somehow work that in as a reference on one of my Sunday thoughts one of these days. Well, you know, they don't um, have a lot of busts. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a pretty successful company. So I had to think of something else they did that was a bust, though. Right. Right. Well, I, I think you're, we're going to have to be patient on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, even though this, so far, I think maybe, I, I think um, none of the major cable companies or satellite providers have picked up Longhorn Network yet, and it's going to be launching officially on Friday. So that's a little threat that ESPN's got to feel a little bit nervous about. But at the same time, like you mentioned, um, it did give it does give Texas an unfair advantage in regards to recruiting, and of course the high school network, high school football games that they were planning to show. And then the NCAA comes in this year and says, "Oh, we're shocked! You're sh- we're shocked about you showing high school football." But then again, 
they announced this last year when they signed the, the, the Longhorn Network and put this together with the University of Texas to keep everybody in the Big 12 Conference last year to prevent everybody from going either to the Pac-12 and the, or, the, or the SEC, um, the, the Big 12 said, look, this is what we're going to give Texas to keep you all, all, all of you together. And then sometime this year, Texas A&M goes, we're shocked that this is going to happen. So, you know, you, know, you knew this was going to happen a, a year ago, so why are you all of a sudden just acting like now you're, you're going to be complaining about the whole thing. You had a whole year to complain about it before until until now. But at the same time, I think everything is going to work out here because they're not going to show high school football games live. They are going to show some highlights of it. Mm-hmm. But I think ESPN isn't here for the long haul. They, 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 they will probably make out in the end. And while we all pick on ESPN because they're an easy target, they they study things ahead of time, and they're probably they're always one reason why they're so successful is because they can ten steps ahead or maybe a hundred steps ahead of the competition, and uh, they'll probably find a way to, to do this with other schools so that uh, the, all the, the rival schools won't feel as threatened as they are right now. The sportscasters are here with Ken Fang from FangBites.com. That's with the Ness, and uh, of course you can follow him on Twitter at FANGSBites. So I just wanted to mention that. Couple more questions before we let you go. Um, let's let's finish sports, and then I do want to ask you a couple amazing race questions because I think it's cool sure. that you love the amazing race. Because I love oh, the amazing race. It. Yeah, it's a great show. But let's finish sports out first. So the NFL season is coming, and we talked a little bit about uh, the broadcasting pairs at CBS. What are some other things from a sports media perspective that NFL fans should have a close eye on as we get closer and closer, and as we're in the season? Well, as you know, of course, you know, the whole lockout thing and some rule changes, of course, that's going to be something to look forward to because it's either going to extend the game, like the reviews after every scoring play. Um, getting rid of the kickoff is one thing that, that kind of annoys me. But uh, one other thing that we got to keep an eye on, and we got that uh, couple things that are going to be coming up sports media-wise, and of course I mentioned that earlier, was Thursday Night Football bid. That's going to be coming right. up shortly. Um, I decided it's going to be, it's pretty much between Turner, TNT, or NBC Sports Network, and the NBC, and going to versus next year, or whatever we're going to call it next year. No so chance I, of the NFL Network? Exactly. <laughs> It'll go to NBC Sports Network, I think. Also, to be, um, look for in the next, after once the Thursday night football rights are done, look for a big announcement by the NFL and ESPN announcing an eight-year extension for Monday Night Football and practically doubling their rights fee. It's right now a billion dollars, wow. 1.1 billion. <laughs> it's going to go to somewhere in the $2 billion range, and they will keep it for eight years, and they will also get a wild-card playoff game with that. So um, that's something to look forward to and something to look for in the next two to three months. What have you thought about Mike Pierre's transition from being the head of officials to providing some commentary during some of the Fox football games. Do you think that's been a success or do you think that it hasn't really added very much? I think he's great. Um, it's, it's added a lot of things and I, I just wondered why networks haven't done this before. Um, you know, Pereira has done this before on NFL Network explaining the week's calls. Right. And, and he was really good at it and he, you know, he just did it in a no-nonsense way and he did a little sense of humor thing with, um, and he showed some humor with uh, Rich, Rich Eisen when he did it on NFL Network. 
and now he's doing it for Fox. I thought it was really successful. He's going to do it on college football. So imagine him and Gus Johnson talking about this with controversial calls right. coming up uh, on FX. That I'm looking forward to. So I think he's he's fantastic, and I think that um, down the road, I'm, I'm sure maybe the other networks will follow suit with a uh, NFL rules official analyst of their own. Although Al Michaels seems to do that, you do quite fine on Sunday Night Football. He seems to get every call right, too. Yeah, that team, I mean, Al Michaels might be the best play-by-play guy, and Collinsworth might be the best mm-hmm. uh, color man. That's a, that's a fantastic team. Is there any movement? One of the big cable carriers here in Buffalo is Time Warner. Is there any hope for them in the NFL Network ever resolving this, or is it going to be like Apple and Flash, where they're just never going to be able to, <laughs> to make a deal? You know what? They are talking, and that is something that we haven't heard over the last few years. Um, I know NFL Network wants Time Warner on board before the regular season begins, and this year they've NFL Network signed a whole bunch of uh, cable providers like MediaCom yeah. and, the whole, uh, and a few others. So I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. I will, I will predict that a week before the NFL season, before, before, um, I'll say the Friday before Labor Day, we will hear an announcement that Time Warner has signed on with NFL Network. That is great. So who's going to give? I think it'll, uh, both sides. Both uh, sides, Because yeah. I think, you know, and Time Warner's wanted to put them on. Time Warner's really stubborn. I, I, they're, they're, they're this way with Tennis Channel and, and Masson down in North Carolina. Um, they're very strange on what they pick up. But uh, I think that both sides are going to have to do a little bu- uh, budging here. And I think that, you know, they'll the, the both come out smelling good at the end because both, both sides will get what they want. And uh, the whole thing is about Time Warner not wanting to give a lot of money to um, uh, NFL Network per subscriber. I don't want to go into, you know, minutiae about right. that because it'll bore everybody. But that, that's one thing that's that's – uh, been a sticking point for uh, Time Warner. I think that'll they'll they'll get what they want, and NFL Network will get what it wants, and they'll get and you'll see Red Zone on there as well. So I'm going to make the bold prediction that they will make the announcement a week before the regular season begins. Well, that would be very nice. I know there's a lot of people here in Buffalo who they either don't have Time Warner because of that, or they have mm-hmm. Time Warner and they cry every Sunday uh, because right. of that. So. If that happens, that'd be uh, it'd be a great thing for Western New York because it is the number one cable cable carrier here. I have DirecTV because I need to watch the Saints every week anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> but I know there's Same some here. I know there's some people who uh, who would love for that to bit get sorted out. So tell me a little bit about the the Amazing Race. What what got you fascinated in this show? Did you just kind of stumble upon it and just decide that it was got your heart going, or I mean? Well, it, it's produced well, and, and not only that, it's kind of it, it's kind of like sports. You know, mm-hmm. you get into it, you have teams, you get the racing, um, and not only that. For me, you get conflict. I love conflict along teams for some reason. Seeing a, a, a dating team argue with each other, and, and seeing the woman think she's right and the guy thinks he's right, for some reason that appeals to me. I don't know what it doesn't appeal to a lot of viewers, but I I happen to love it. But also the, the locales, going to the exotic locales, whether it's Vietnam or going over to Russia, and knowing once in each season you're going to see a winter locale and a summer locale. So <laughs> they're going to see it in, in one particular race. They might even see it in, 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 in different legs, in, the next, in, in back-to-back legs. 
So for me, it, that's one of the appealing things about it. I just and not only that, Phil Kogan and 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 the guys who produced it do it very well, and uh, I just love the show. It's fantastic, and it, it, it's a reason why it won seven straight Emmy Awards for best reality show. It's just it, it, to me, it's the best reality show on TV. I was just going to mention that you know it's no mistake that they have been considered the best reality show for many years in a row, and it's interesting because we just talked to Stuart Mandel from SI, and he actually started a podcast because of his love of the show Lost, and that's ah. ev- that's evolved you know, into now a college football podcast. And now we talk to you, and, and you have your blog, and you, you take the time to write about The Amazing Race when it's in season and things like that. Well, I'll so. tell you this. I, don't tell anybody, but I'm downloading The Amazing Race Australia, which just finished uh, earlier this month, and there's Amazing Race China Rush, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is a fantastic version too. So I'm that's how sick I am. <laughs> I watch international versions of the Amazing Race, which are produced almost just as well. And I know uh, the guys who produce it. I, I've I've interviewed them uh, as well for my blog. So <laughs> that's how crazy I am about the Amazing Race. Well, you know, there's people like that for Big Brother too. Do you get in, into Big Brother at all? Because your passion for the Amazing Race reminds me of some people I know who have passion for Big Brother in the sense that they even watch. The feeds for Big Brother, a- England, mm-hmm. and things like that as well. So, I used to, and and for a reality uh, show website, I used to update the feeds, and I just finally I said I had enough. I can't do it anymore because it was taking too much part of my life. So I had to drop Big Brother. But uh, I, I understand the passion for that show. I won't I won't pick on anybody who who watches it because uh, I was once a uh, fanatical watcher myself. So we have a, a somewhat mutual friend in the sports media, and that's Dan Levy. You used to, uh, you used to write for his blog, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you enjoyed and probably were on his podcast, and he says it's coming back. So are you looking forward to the return of Dan's podcast? And um, you know, how, what do you think of Dan's work in general? I, I like Dan. Dan I, I did some work for him for his press coverage blog. Right. Um, and uh, we were, I was honored to be asked because, you know, I'm, I'm not a heavy hitter as much as he is. And he had, he had me along with a whole bunch of people like Bethlehem Scholes and Maggie Hendricks, you know, who, who's the uh, MMA writer for Yahoo. So I was honored just to be part of that. Um, it's too bad the press coverage didn't work because, you know, there were a lot of good writers on there and we were providing a lot of good content. Um, but then, you know, Dan had some personal things and he had to right. take care of, so we yep. had to drop it. But... Uh, yeah, I like Dan overall, and I'm, I'm interested to see what he's going to be doing with Bleacher Report because here's a person who, like me, was a very ardent critic of Bleacher Report and basically I feel and what many people around me is the devil. But if he can bless him, Netwatch blog, talking to him, because I'll be talking to him tomorrow on my podcast with uh, Keith Tebow. Yeah, tomorrow. go ahead. It'll be interesting to see. T- plug your podcast. Tell, tell the listeners about it and, and find it. And- Fantastic. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's called Sports Media Weekly. I do it um, every week with Keith Tebow of Sports Media Journal. It's uh, 30 minutes. It's a quick hit. Uh, we do 15 minutes talking about the news of the week, and then we usually have a guest for about another 15 minutes. This week, it's going to be Dan Levy of Bleacher Report. We'll talk to him about uh, why he decided to join Bleacher Report after being an ardent critic. Last we've had uh, sports by Monday. We've also we've, uh, we had on at one point, uh, and uh, sometime in September on that. And I'm also to- hoping for to. So um, a lot of good people have uh, come on the show. Richard Deitch is from your point, yep. and cross pollination between our, our with the same, yeah. I've, uh, do- 
I've noticed that natural for its podcast. Do you want to plug? Uh, let's see. Thanks, Bike Stop. Um, I also have a page, uh, Facebook, slash fa- face, Facebook, Facebook, and of course my Twitter account, which is at, uh, at so you can find me uh, in a multitude of uh, places and the podcast as sportsmedia.com and in.com. All right, Ken, thank you. We appreciate you being on. We have to do it again. Absolutely, and uh, you guys are podcast too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, one last segment in what's been a very long day for the Sturs as we three pods. I want to remind you of and very similar athlete spot on Pamper CA also cast, which I'm really excited for because I think over there Don Banks, who was nice enough to his time, he's very busy this time traveling from training camp to training camp and writing every day for the website that Don's. Also, we doubt football from Tom did Rights Illustrated has. I think you're going to love the work, Tim. As for this episode, we have to Michael Fabiano, who was off the charts on the NFL Network. And I want to be a able to get this time for a fantasy football then August. Everyone is everyone it and really busy. And I feel really honored Michael made some time for us during that busy period. But I know about he, Michael told me that to Dave. And Dave is a big reason that happened. I think, obviously, thank Michael Fabiano. Ken Fangs, who also did a great job. I was a little... With kind of that kind of visions. Sometimes you go into Adam Schefter and blow your interview with a guy like. So that was great. Real quickly, uh, Dave and like the Dave Damashek, Frank did pass away today, I believe. Oh, so no. to Dave, Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel, Kimmel yeah. and Adam Krola and everyone who knew him, and uh, Dave told us he was yeah. under the weather. So we'll be missed. The Kimmel show. Enjoyed his work. It's too bad. And I think his family had one of those, you know, really. So it's too bad to hear. So despite have one last piece of business. To take care of, pick four, and it's it's ugly. <laughs> Usually, weeks were you know humiliating, but we put ourselves out there every no, uh, and we are. And those usually don't work out. Sixty-six. I think of all the times I've gotten my bullpacked, and that'd be better. And we've taken a little bit of a beating, and I don't think there's any millions of dollars betting baseball <laughs> because recall to predict. I mean, we we're trying to pick off pitchers one a week. Both picked a guy, Ryan Vogel, star here. You name a great bottom Astros. Like where they from? <laughs> but we both that game. Don is was on the wrong side of the week. For my own loss, the Saints over the Texans zero zero at the. I don't know what Drew was doing, but he kind of <laughs> yelled what, what, what happened? Yeah, well, I, I'm gonna get to that. Uh, I said that Drew two touchdowns. He threw zero three. You were one and three. You got Matt's eleven, short. and you needed four runs. <laughs> <laughs> Almost got a goose egg. Just have not Stinchcomb. Either way, they're still about maybe settling somewhere. I hope so. Why don't you get us started here today? Game of the week this week again. I was out there by trying to season game at the line today night on CBS start. I go with the, who just season, but man, it looked, they're on a mission again. Well, I'm gonna kind of explain my people might say, well, why the heck would you pick season game as the game of the week? Two weeks ago, it was simply the all game. The third week of the preseason was considered to be the Chargers right. played week, and there was not a good big match. Right, there wasn't that this week. It's both season. Figured why not do it? And since I picked the line, there is, I think is a move. And everyone is playing for a long time. I have a fun difficulty and because he <laughs> likes to piss people off. Polish. Belichick just might his guys as much as that'd be hilarious. Choices uh, this week. I'm gonna Cubs. Lowly Cubs. Wolf has pitched 10.45 ERA over Lopo. I'm gonna stick with the Brewers. I'm going to pick the same for the Raiders. <laughs> My host short for the last three weeks of preseason game. The game is Sunday, and what's on? Eddie. So everybody can watch as my Saints play the Raiders, <laughs> the black hole. But I think that if the Saints are really going to play their starters for three quarters, and the Raiders are as well, 
we're not losing that game. All right, like I said, I'm all in with the Brewers this week. I'm going to take uh, Giovanni Gallardo, or Gallardo as my pitch. He's in with his over the Cubs, who are pitching Dempster. The Brewers are 47 and 16 as of this podcast at home. It's incredible. Wow. So I'm going to stick with them in Good two games this week. Good year to have season tickets. Yeah, no kidding. All right, my winning pitcher is a guy I've been saving, CC Sabathia, 17 and 7 with 2.96 ERA. Please, CC, just defeat the Oakland Athletics. <laughs> Trevor Cahill, 9 and 12, 4.12. It's at Yankee Stadium on Wednesday, August 24th at 7.05 p.m. If you have yes, it will be on the S Network. I've been saving you for this. Please come through. <laughs> now, my next, my bold prediction may not sound that bold on the surface, but we're talking about the Bills. So my bold prediction is that the Bills' first-team offense puts up at least 17 points on Saturday. Um, I think they've put up a total of three or six Sounds or something right. to this it point. Hasn't been much. It hasn't been good. Um, I don't expect them to be terrible. I don't expect them to outscore a ton of teams this year, but I expect them to be somewhere in the middle. And with teams that don't have prolific offenses, I think not having the practice that they all missed during uh, the lockout, some of the offenses are going to sputter a little bit. The Bills aren't going to be as bad as they have been. They play Jacksonville, and they're finally at home. So I think they can put up a couple touchdowns at least. So I'm going to say the Bills starters, first-team offense, scores at least 17 points. And we'll call that any drive that starts with Fitzpatrick under center. Fair enough. Okay, so any, even if he comes out for the last three plays and they score, I'll give it to you. Okay. So any drive that Fitzpatrick starts will be considered the Bills' first-team offense. And I'm going to be at the game. We got tickets on stub up for three bucks each <laughs> so just for something to do on a saturday night and since the starters do play right yeah you know a bit if you're gonna go to one you might go, as well go to this we're one. gonna go to that one uh my bold prediction has a little story behind it so i said earlier that the saints and texas game could have been a little bit different if drew Brees didn't get sacked at the four yard line well some of the beat reporters that were there at the game Jeff Duncan, who's been on this podcast, right. mentioned that Drew Brees immediately went over to Lance Moore and chewed him out, I guess, humbled him for <laughs> something that Drew perceived he didn't do correctly on the play. I don't know if he was supposed to read a hot route. I can't imagine. My guess is that it was a blitz that didn't get picked up and that Drew Brees wanted to re throw right read away the to blitz and wanted to throw it to Moore right away right. and Moore was in uh, la-la land. That's my guess. So my bold prediction this week is that Drew and Lance will bounce back and Drew Brees will throw his first touchdown pass of the preseason to, to Lance, Moore. Lance Moore. Sounds good. All right, last thing. Don't forget, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the sportscasters. Find us on Twitter, sports underscore casters, at downlikesports, at diversity23. Also, you can find us on Gmail. Send us an email. Let us know what you think of the three shows this week. Sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find our blog, the blog. It's the sportscasters.blogspot.com. And you can find all of that on our website, sports-casters.com. Can't wait for next week, episode 39 with the great Kenny Albert. We will see you then. Cue the hip. Goodbye. All right.